We are in the book of Numbers. Uh, it is the fourth book of the Bible. And uh, we're going through our series, uh, Christ in All of Scripture. And we're seeing in each book the central theme and the picture of what that book represents and what the author is trying to get the readers and understanding to. And all of it is pointing us to Christ, right? I mean, everything that we've seen in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, we've seen this picture of the centrality of Christ in the scriptures. And so when you're walking through your, your Bible reading plan for the year, you're looking at the text and you're looking at the scriptures and you're getting to numbers and you're going, what is this about, right? And it is going through the wilderness. Some of our ladies actually spent a um, last semester in a ladies' Bible study going through the book of Numbers. And I was gleaning from them information this week, one of them being my wife, and uh, gotten their wisdom on the fourth book of the Bible of Numbers, how it pictures Christ, and what is going on in the text of Scripture as we're seeing the story of God unfold before us in the Bible. It's really this beautiful crescendo of all that has happened thus far. It is this beautiful melody of music playing to the top of this mountain, only to come crashing down like a piano dropping from the second story, right? That's what happens in the book of Numbers. Because of people's lack of faith. Because of their unbelief. Maybe uh, I'm so excited about this theme or this text this morning will be in Numbers chapter 13 because it is kind of incorporative of our theme this year as a church. Remember, um, we are in preparation for what God wants to do for all eternity on this earth. So to live like we're preparing for all eternity. Remember our theme verse for this year is 2 Corinthians 4.17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You see, the wilderness is preparing God's people to enter into his rest. And I came to the conclusion in my study this week, and I hope you do today after reading Numbers chapter 13 and 14, that we as the people of God in the church are in the wilderness. We are in the place of preparation under God's protection, under his provision. And we are currently going through a series of tests. How will God's people handle the trials and obstacles in their path on the way to entering the rest of God? Will they trust in God or will they grumble and complain wanting to go back to their old life of oppression outside of the presence of God? You see, Numbers, as we've been looking through each book of the Bible, it portrays Christ in a variety of ways. And if you've read through this book, you'll see these pictures. And in Numbers, you may be in this in in your Bible reading plan next month, but I'm gonna give you some, some hints here. He is the bronze serpent in chapter 21 in which Moses lifts up and the people must look to, to be healed. John talks about this in the, in the New Testament. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice in chapter 19 without blemish or defect as the sacrifice has to be perfect, without blemish and without defect. In chapter 24, Balaam gives an oracle and he is the star to rise from Jacob and the scepter that rises from Israel as Revelation calls him the morning star for his glory and brightness and light exude from him. He is also the scepter as his kingdom has 
no end. He is the mediator in which Moses throughout this book mediates on behalf of a wicked people, a sinful people pleading with the Lord to spare them on the basis of God's steadfast love. In chapter 5, I'm sorry, in chapter 25, he is the one who is pierced for our transgressions and sin on behalf of the sins of the people as Jesus would be on the cross. His side would be pierced so that God's wrath would turn away. You can read those stories later and as you read through the book of Numbers and see Christ in those pictures. But we're going to center our thoughts and ideas to chapter 13 this morning as it gives us the picture of God's people and God's, under God's provision, under God's protection, yet not yet complete. On the way, in transit, becoming a sanctified people. These are the words that describe numbers as God's people are moving towards the promised land, the land flowing of milk and honey, and entering into God's rest. The way that numbers begins is with Moses entering into the tent of meeting. Remember last week we talked about Leviticus as 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 in Exodus, Moses could not enter into the presence of God. And now Leviticus has done its job, the way of sacrifice. Now Moses is the high priest as a representative of the people, enters in to the presence of God. Now God being able to dwell with his people in the tabernacle through this sacrifice. And now God's people leave Mount Sinai Numbers chapter 10, and they go into the wilderness and on a journey. It's approximately an 11-month journey through the wilderness, and God's people encounter some tests. They need food. They need water. And instead of trusting the God who saved them from Egypt, who brought them across the Red Sea, they complain and show their lack of faith. And yet, time and time again, God still provides. God leads his people with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Our God sees. Our God hears and he provides for his people. And in this process, he's teaching his people, Israel, what it means to trust or have faith in God himself. Because they're about to reach the edge of the promised land and they have to trust that God would give them the land. So they come to the edge of the land, as God had promised, and they send one leader from each of the 12 tribes in to spy out the land, to see what the land is. Is it a good land? Is it what God has promised his people? Will God's people enter his rest? This is faith in the one who overcomes. Let's read what happens in Numbers chapter 13, verses 25. We'll start right there. As they come back from spying out into the land, these leaders of the people of Israel return after 40 days of seeing God's land. If you'll stand with me in reading of God's word, Numbers chapter 13, verse 25. Here it is. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, 
We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides this, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land, and they had spied out, saying, The land through which we had gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who were come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives, our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Then they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Let's pray. You can be seated. Father, we see ourselves in these pages of Scripture. Help our unbelief. Help us to trust in the God who saves. The God who gives life Father, we thank you for bringing us out of our misery, of our shame, of our guilt, and the promises that you have for us to enjoy the blessings of God, to enjoy the fruit of the Spirit, the living God. Help us to be people that do not look back. Help us to be people of faith, even in the midst of very difficult times and very difficult challenges that we face. Help us to be a people that trust in their God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Taking from a popular quote in today's world, God didn't take us this far to come only this far. Right? God didn't take his people this far to only come this far. God didn't take you this far for you to only come this far. Amen? I mean, during the most important markers in my life, and you may have the same type of markers in your life, there was serious doubts. There was serious tests. Right? I can name them for you. My markers in my life Struggles and challenges in which the Lord led me to. And I, am I going to trust in God? Or am I going to trust in what I see? Remember, remember our verse for the year. I'm going to pull it back up here. Our verse for the year. It says this. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. 
For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I can list them for you, these markers in my life. In high school, I was playing basketball. I broke my ankle. Basketball meant a lot to me at that time. Am I going to trust the Lord with this? How about the decision to marry my life, my wife? Am I going to trust the Lord in this? Moving to Thailand as missionaries. I can remember sleeping on the floor in a, in a village in Thailand going, what, what am I doing? Where am I? Deciding to go to seminary, reading all these books and, and going, what what are you doing, Rob? Deciding to go into the pastorate, right? Many a days I've been like, what? <laughs> what? What's going on? How, how does this work? Deciding to come to a prestigious church like Northwest Baptist, right? Not always easy. Most recently, finishing my dissertation, which was over 300 pages, thinking to myself, there's no way you're ever going to finish this. There's, there's many times I have felt like I was in the wilderness. And, and many times, and markers probably in your life, just as my life, where I, I thought to myself, why did, why did you bring me out here? Why? Why? I'd probably just be better off playing it safe. Just living in my three-foot world, right? Just doing what I want to do, how I want to do it, my three-foot world. Maybe just scroll on Facebook a little bit more, right? Take me back to Egypt. This is too hard. Some of you might be right there now. In all of this life, God is preparing us for something even greater than we could ever imagine. His Sabbath rest. The seventh day of creation. It has no morning. It has no evening. Why? Because God created Adam and Eve to enter into his rest. The blessing of Eden, his provision, his protection, his presence depicted not only in Eden, but again in the promised land. This was God saying, I'm bringing you up out of the slavery of Egypt and I'm promising you this land flowing with milk and honey to enter into the blessing of God. A relationship, God's presence dwelling among his people. But to enter that promise, God's people must have faith. And they will overcome by faith in the one who has overcome. Amen? Who passed through the wilderness without doubting. See, Joshua and Caleb are looking to, to one future who will go into the wilderness. He will be tempted by Satan for 40 days and he will pass that test. Our faith is not in ourself to have faith. It is in the one who passed that test. His name is Jesus. And we will see God's people who have the banner of the Lord over them enter into heaven. But those who do not have faith, reject God's provision and promise, they will be judged. The church, much of this life, we feel like grasshoppers. In the midst of unstoppable forces, yet the church, like Caleb and Joshua, says, We trust in the Lord our God. 
The Lord is with us. We do not fear. Look at verse 25 together. Chapter 13, Numbers. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying the land and they came to Moses and Aaron, to all the congregation, the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them, all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. Now this is the pinnacle of what has happened throughout the text. God's promises are true. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified, very large. And besides, we saw the descendants there of Anak. And then it goes on to tell us who else is in the land. This is our first point this morning. God's word is true. Look at verse 23 for me. They came to the valley of Eskel and cut down there a branch with a single cluster of grapes and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. The fruit is so plentiful, they're carrying it on poles. Two guys trying to carry the fruit back to Israel. So that the the people can taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? Is God's word not true? The people tasted and they saw that the Lord is good. Do we not taste and see that the Lord is good? You see, the book of Numbers begins with a census or a numbering of people. That's why it's called Numbers. They number the people of each tribe as they prepare to enter the land. It's, it's kind of like this census, census or numbering of the armies of Israel. It's, it's like the army of Israel. God's army is now marching towards the promised land to overcome the enemy. The land that God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 70 people went to Egypt from Jacob's family, and now Israel is more like 2 million people. What God has said will come to pass. God's word is true. Genesis 15, the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, which is Egypt. Afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. This is to Abraham. Now God's promise is being fulfilled 400 years later. The Lord has reaffirmed this covenant many times to his people, even telling Moses all the way back to the burning bush what he will do. The Lord spoke to Moses from the burning books, Exodus 3, 8. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. To bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. A land flowing with milk and honey. To the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. God knows those people are dwelling in that land. He tells Abraham, their, their, their sins are not yet complete. The iniquity of the Amorites aren't yet complete. I will not judge them through you yet. God knows this. He says, I'm bringing you to a land of milk and honey. What does that mean? Plenty of land for grazing their cattle to produce milk and bees are plentiful. So they produce this honey, but the bees are plentiful, meaning they have vegetation, flowers, plants, and trees grow they're able to grow because the soil is fertile. The soil is fertile. It's, it's large and it's fertile. 
What, what does this remind you of? It's like the garden. It produces good fruit. And it's got animals to roam in this, in this place. God's returning his people back to a garden-like place. God is accomplishing that which is spoken through his word. We trust in the very word of God. He does what he says he will do. Do you believe that? What he says happens. There are a lot of parallels to the Christian life, what God has done with Israel in the first four books of the Bible. And Paul kind of brings out what he's done to Israel and is doing with his church. Let me, let me read you what Paul writes about this Exodus wilderness experience with the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says this, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. He's talking to the church in Corinth here. That our brothers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now this is picturing the golden calf experience. But we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction. On whom the end of ages has come. Now therefore... Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. (laughs) Amen? We're not excluded from Israel. We're not excluded, meaning we're, we're not above these people. And Paul's saying, these were written as an example for you, his church... That if anyone thinks that he can stand or is prideful enough to think that he is above what happened in, in the wilderness here, it's a warning to you that you may fall. To not fall into the same trap of unbelief in the great God. You see, the parallels between Israel and the church are given to help us trust in God. That he would bring about his great salvation for Israel through the Passover, providing a lamb that was slain to be placed on the door of their house. In the same way for us, in the new covenant, he has provided the perfect lamb of Christ whose blood was shed on the cross as the way of salvation for his church. You see, he brought Israel through the Red Sea or the waters of his judgment to make them a people for his own possession. And he's called his church to be baptized, identifying ourselves with Christ in his death and resurrection in which we declare we are God's people to the world. He led Israel in a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night and he has not abandoned his church. He has given him his spirit as a guide. 
as to guide us into all truth. In the wilderness, God provided for Israel through the water that came from the rock that was struck and the manna from heaven. In the same way, the rock that brings forth living water is Christ Jesus and the true bread from heaven to get, is given life to the world is Christ himself. You see, God provided for his church to sustain and endure through this time of preparation for the eternal weight of glory. Amen? And he has provided Christ. So just like Israel, we are in the wilderness waiting for an eternal glory, the Sabbath rest that God has promised in Christ Jesus And now he is calling for his church to overcome. To overcome this world. To have faith. Jesus said in John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen? Do we trust that Christ overcomes? And has overcome. The gospel is true. May we trust his word. May we not grumble and complain while waiting for the eternal weight of glory. That is prepared for us. Let's look and see what what else happens here. Verse 30, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. I love Caleb. Don't you? I I pray for Caleb's in our church, in the church in the United States and the world. Pray for men and women of God to raise up and say, our God is with us. We will overcome. The men, then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out saying the land through which We have gone out to spy out as a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people we saw are in it are great height. And there's what we saw, Nephilim, the sons of Anak who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed out of ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them and it was enough. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died. In the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword. Our wives, our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Then they said to one another. Let us choose a leader. And go back. To Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land, give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. This is our second point this morning. God calls people 
to faith in his word. God calls his people to faith in his word. The call, God's word is true, but the call is for his people to trust it. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7 says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my work for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with the generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be any among any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? With whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that we, they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The writer of Hebrews is commentating for us on what is happening. They are not able to enter the rest of God because of unbelief. Do you trust in the God of the universe to overcome the obstacles in your life? You see, as we've journeyed through the first four books of the Bible, and as we journey through the Bible, we see the exact same challenges that we, the people of God, face These characters, these great men of the faith, women of the faith, faced in our world. We face them in our world as they did in their world. These characters are struggling through their life. And the only only way that they overcome in any regard, is through faith in God and his promise. He would send one to crush the head of the serpent. This is, this is Noah struggling with addiction. He's a drunk. We see him drunk in the Bible. And he's, he has to have faith in the Lord. Do you trust him to overcome the addiction in your life? Maybe you're like Abraham who struggles with sexual immorality. A perversion of God's design in marriage as Abraham gives his wife to Pharaoh in a very wicked act to protect himself. God is calling you to to trust in him to overcome this area of your life. Maybe you're lazy in combating truth like Adam, allowing the enemy to speak lies to you and your family and God is calling you back to trust in the promises of God. Maybe you have anger towards someone else like Moses as he did when he killed the Egyptian and you're in need to forgive as God has forgiven you. Maybe you're like Israel, erecting golden calves in your life, giving your time and your money for idols so that you can worship God as you please instead of giving him your life 
And God is calling you to complete surrender and trust in him. And maybe you're Lot's wife and have looked back and longed for the world instead of trusting in the way of the Lord. You're in the wilderness. You've heard the promises of God. And just beyond these few days left that you have on this earth, God is calling you to trust him, to overcome the obstacles, the challenges in your life, to trust in the God who overcomes. He's calling you to faith, not only because of all that he has done, but he will not leave you, nor, he will, nor will he forsake you. So what happens now is Moses then pleads on behalf of the people not to be destroyed, not because they are good, not because they, are, they have obeyed the Lord, but because God is faithful. Moses says, you, you are a great God showing grace and steadfast love will you not be faithful to your promises? God's response here in, in verse 26 is this, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel which they grumble against me say to them as I live declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you, meaning I will spare you. I will spare these people. I will have grace for these people. Your dead body shall fall in the wilderness. This is the judgment of God. And all of your number listed in the senses from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb, the son of Japuna, and Joshua, the son of Nun. So the census at the beginning of the book, which is this huge celebration of God's army moving in to overcome the enemy, now becomes the death sentence. Because of their lack of faith. And he turns right now on their lack of faith and he turns it towards his good plan. Verse 31, but your little ones who you said would become a prey, I will bring in. And they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness. And your children shall shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. What a sad picture. Because of unbelief, God had, had shown grace to his people for idolatry, building the golden calf. His presence still went with him. He had shown his grace even though they grumbled and complained from water and lack of food. They had grumbled and complained again, time and time again. God had shown his grace and his favor. And then when they are about to enter, they lack the faith to enter God's rest. This is our last point this morning. Those that trust in the Lord will overcome and enter into God's rest. You see, in Genesis 2, it refers back to a wilderness. Before God creates man and places him in the garden, what is there? It is a wilderness. Genesis 2, 5, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, no small plants of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. 
Out of the wilderness, God creates. Out of the wilderness, he creates a place for man to dwell in his presence. To enter into his rest. It is the Garden of Eden. God desires to bring his people back to how he created and designed them to be in his presence. God breathes new life into his people through making them new creations who have faith and trust in the God who will overcome. You see, God knew Israel failed in the wilderness He knew we would fail in the wilderness as well. And that's why Christ went into the wilderness. That's why he was tempted for 40 days. And what did Christ do? He overcame the enemy. He faced the same temptations of Israel. No food. Why? Because he was fasting. And and the enemy, Satan, says, turn these rocks into bread What does Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what Israel was supposed to do. Trust in the word of God. That is what we are supposed to do, to trust in the word of God. Jesus has overcome your lack of trust. Second temptation, putting the Lord to the test, says In the text of scripture that Israel did many times, they put the Lord to the test and specifically at Meribah. Well, the water is not good. Will the Lord provide? We're gonna grumble and complain. They throw wood into the water and it becomes sweet and they drink it. But Jesus says this test as as Satan is trying to tell Jesus to jump off a cliff and his angels are going to rescue him. And Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do you put the Lord your God to the test? Or do you trust in his word? Then Satan shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, I will give you all of these if you worship me. We know that Jesus has all the kingdoms in the world. But is he going to take it before it's time? Before the Lord has provided. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Referring back to the golden calf in which before Moses had returned from the mountain to bring the people what they were supposed to do, they made their own God in idolatry. But guess what? We have dabbled in idolatry as well, and yet Jesus overcame that for us. The beautiful picture is is that Jesus takes our place upon the cross where we were supposed to be. We we are, Israel, not able to enter into the rest of God. And yet Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Place your faith in me. And when we place our faith in Jesus, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will give you the Holy Spirit, which will transform your heart and your mind. Trust in me. Lord, Lord, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. That should be our prayer almost every morning that we trust in the promises of God's word 
if he is with us, that we will overcome because he has overcome. I want to read you one more thing. I know I've gone a long time this morning, but one more thing. The ending of the story ends like this. The people think that they realize the Lord shows his presence Again at the tabernacle, the people realize they have messed up. And so God pronounces his judgment. And he says, well, well, now we should go up and fight the Canaanites. After all this, we should probably do what God has told us to do, right? We should probably go and fight the Canaanites. And yet, Again, not trusting what God has already said, that they will wander in the desert for 40 years. They go up and try to fight themselves. This is what it says, Numbers 13, 43. For there the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you, and you shall fall by the sword because you have turned back from following the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. That's a problem. The Lord in his presence did not go with them, neither did Moses. Verse 45, then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them even to Hormah. Those that trust in the Lord will overcome and enter God's rest. Why? Because he is with you. If you try to do this on your own, church, you will be defeated. It is the presence of the living God that gives you the ability to overcome. And that is only come by Jesus Christ. The church will overcome and the church will enter into the rest of God because of Christ. Christ is coming into the wilderness to overcome the issues that you face, the issues that the patriarchs and these people, the early church, I'm I'm sorry, Israel faced Do we trust in our God and his promises? Let's pray. Father, we thank you.